Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast. We're here as usual to answer people's questions. Answer your questions about your practice, your life. Questions regarding your spiritual progress and your practice of mindfulness meditation in the Buddhist teachings. So if you have any questions about your practice or about life in general, something that's of importance to you, go ahead and post your questions in the chat at any time. First 15 minutes will be a chance for people to show up, post their questions, and also a chance for us to clear our minds, chance for everyone to get settled in, take 15 minutes to do some mindfulness practice, either walking or sitting or walking and sitting. And I will be back at 15 minutes after the hour, as usual, to start answering questions.
All right, that's 15 minutes. So from here on, we'd ask that the chat be reserved for questions only. You're still welcome to continue to post questions about your practice or about the application of mindfulness in your life. If you don't have any questions, just sit back and listen mindfully. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. Is it okay to focus on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path during meditation? So, we have to ask about this word, focus. What do you mean by focus on these things? There's a couple of different things you could mean, and it's common for people to ask this sort of question to mean think about these things, reflect and mull these things, or even relate these things to your experiences actively by asking questions of yourself. Is this thing part of this Dhamma or that Dhamma or so on? All of that's intellectual activity. That is something that you can do. Uh, it's not something we recommend to do. It's not the practice of mindfulness. It's far inferior to the practice of mindfulness. It's caught up in delusion and greed, perhaps, wanting to know things. It's a bit lazy because when you could be being mindful, you'd, you're more comfortable or you'd rather be doing something easy like just thinking. It's uh, habit-forming, and so it leads you to think more in the future. It makes it harder for you to have a, a actually focused mind, present a mind that's focused on reality because you're focused on concepts and thought. You could also mean, or folk, the word focus anyway, could also mean um, to focus on realities that belong to these things. Uh, not so much the Eightfold Noble Path, but the First Noble Truth is basically the focus of mindfulness practice. So it is true that you are focusing on one of the Four Noble Truths, the First Noble Truth. But it's not in the way we normally use this sentence or this phrase. We usually use it to mean something intellectual. It's just that when you're mindful of ultimate reality, you are technically focused on the First Noble Truth, which is the important one to learn about. But uh, yeah, as, uh, my understanding of what you're asking here is probably there's, there's no great benefit to what you're doing. So um, if you ask questions like, is it okay to do this and is it okay to do that? Well, I've got a booklet that tells you what to do. So do what's in the booklet and know there's nothing else that you should be doing, not as far as meditation goes. And if you have time, you can do the at-home course and we can add some exercises, but it will still be basically the same uh, idea of cultivating mindfulness. When applying mindfulness after and during an argument, I note anger, irritation, and upset both at myself and others. Should I try to understand my reactions or just try to stop and shun them. 
You shouldn't try to understand. Understanding isn't something that comes about by trying. Understanding comes about through familiarity. So you probably don't realize it, but just noting is cultivating familiarity and understanding. It's just not quite how we normally think of understanding. We think of understanding, again, as something intellectual that we should think about. So again, trying to uh, to understand is probably misunderstanding what understanding means. You've got misunderstanding about understanding. Uh, but the more familiar you are with something, the more the better you understand it. That's how you should understand understanding. Uh, you certainly should never stop or shun things. You should try to understand them, both the experiences that make you upset and the getting upset. Try to see them more clearly. Is observing the precepts and spiritual practice enough to stop the accumulation of negative karma in this lifetime in lay life, or is there more required? Well, spiritual practice is so broad that it probably encompasses everything that you could possibly. It also includes the precepts, which are spiritual although you could you could delineate it that way the precepts not being practiced the precepts being the other side of the coin so practice is what you do precepts are what you don't and if you think of those two then yeah precepts and practice spiritual precepts spiritual practice there's really not more that needs to be done it's just important you understand what are valid and valuable spiritual practices and what aren't because if you omit spirit if you omit practices that are important to cultivate or essential then it's not enough and if you focus on those that are unessential then you also uh, waste time and it prevents you from focusing on what's important But yeah, that's the that's one way of describing the importance of spiritual practice. That karma is what happens every time, every moment when we're not mindful, when our mind is sullied, is is cultivating bad habits, and there's bad karma being cultivated at that moment. Now you don't accumulate karma. Karma isn't something you accumulate. The word karma means action. Karma is something you do. And specifically in the Buddhist context, it means something you do that has um, negative consequences. And more specifically even than that, it's not just what you do, it's something you do mentally. Some sort of mental inclination that has negative consequences. That's karma. What you accumulate is those bad consequences. And so we do lots of perform lots of bad karma. Well, the bad consequences of those karma are going to come and bite you. You're going to mess your life up. While doing mental work that deals with words, concepts, etc., I can note posture, but I can't note thinking, despite most salient object. In theory, is it impossible to note thinking while thinking? Because we use the sixth sense to note thinking, are they exclusive? Should I always note posture when doing mental work, 
because it is not exclusive to thinking. Right, so that's just uh, some logical uh, idea that you've come up with. But the 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 reason why it's not there isn't a problem the way you the way you propose it is that technically you're never mindful of something as it's happening, whether it be thought or the postures. You it might feel like you're being mindful of the postures as they happen, but think about it. First, you have to be aware that you're sitting, for example, and then you have to note sitting. It has to be right after. So the same goes for thinking. Once you realize that you were thinking, you can note thinking. Now, when your work involves or requires you to engage in the thinking, mindfulness isn't really going to work, not not you know, directed towards that, because your your work requires that you engage your mind in a different way. You can note intermittently. It can be valuable. You should especially note the hindrances, liking, disliking, drowsiness, distraction, and doubt. But honestly, noting the postures is more than enough. Don't try to expect yourself to note everything. Whatever you can note is enough. When you notice that your mind is distracted, you can note that. Or if you note it's sluggish, you can note that, tired, whatever. I notice that my mind moves from mindfulness to losing mindfulness and back, like a yo-yo, unless I'm in a state of absorption. Is this the best one can hope for on the Eightfold Path in lay life? I mean, that's the best you can hope for because that's the nature of the mind. The mind is unpredictable. It's uh, uncontrollable. That's uh, a part of the realization that comes from mindfulness. Mindfulness isn't about controlling your mind. It's about understanding it. And part of that understanding is, well, the, the, the core of that understanding is seeing the three characteristics, and that's what you're seeing, impermanence, suffering, and non-self. We just don't realize that that's what we're seeing, but that's what you're seeing. You're seeing that your mind is basically broken. It's not, uh, it's unwieldy. Your mind, your experience, reality is unwieldy. It's un, undesirable. It's not worth clinging to. That leads you to let go. During meditation, I feel a desire to start noting sensations faster, and I feel that the need to name sensations slows me down. Can I speed up in noting sensations? Are you baiting me with that? Do you not realize what you've just said? I feel a desire. Maybe you don't even realize it. I feel a desire. What are you missing here? You're missing noting desire. When you want something, you have to note that wanting, wanting. There is never going to be a case where I feel a desire to do X is a good enough reason to do X. It's not. It's never going to be the case. Desire is a bad reason to do something. The only reason you should do something really is out of mindfulness and wisdom and understanding. If you know something is good, I mean, otherwise it's a crapshoot. You can make life choices and not really know which is the right one. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but most of the decisions we make are not really based or, or going to have any basis in wisdom. But uh, anytime it is based on desire, it's definitely wrong. So you haven't given me any reason, any rationale for why I should 
I should even entertain the idea that you should note faster. You shouldn't note faster. There's no question about that. But it's clear if the only reason you're doing it is out of desire, you haven't given me a good reason to tell you to do something I would tell meditators not to do. So the answer is no. Um, feeling that the need to name sensation slows you down. There's probably some other feeling there as well, like an aversion to it, a frustration, a boredom, um, restlessness, anything like that. And those are all problems as well. That's the point of noting. That's what it's it's going to do. It's going to help you see the nature of your mind. So the worst thing you could do is when you see the nature of your mind is then cling to that nature and, and uh, feed it, right? I want to do something is only a sign that you have wanting that arises in the mind, and that's what we're here to catch. It's like you've noticed a wild animal. Don't jump on its back. Catch the wild animal in a trap. Can you teach us how Buddhism views addiction? During meditation, I notice I have many different kinds of addictions that feel powerful. Will they diminish with practice? Yeah, they will diminish with practice. Um, how does Buddhism view addiction? Well, addiction is basically made up of three parts. There's the object of addiction, there is the pleasure that comes from partaking of the object, and then there's the desire for the object. These three things are the core of how Buddhism views addiction, and they should all be noted individually. They are distinct. There are three distinct things. There's more. There's also thoughts you might have about it, views you might have about the, about addiction, and so on. But those are sort of ancillary or or you know, neighborhood. They're not. They're not the the core of the addiction. So the feeling, the the experience, like it's, if it's something visual or if it's something tactile or if it's something um, a, a pleasure that you get in in the. I'm sorry, no. If it's the physical or the the visual, or if it's taste or something like that, that object itself, even without the pleasure or the liking, you should note the object seeing, seeing, or so on. And then the pleasure you should note separately. If it makes you feel happy, you should note happy, happy. If it makes you feel calm, you should note calm, calm. And finally, uh, the desire, you should note that, liking, wanting. You can also note any worry or fear or guilt about you might feel about your addiction or so on. All of those are, are valid to note as well. I guess another thing I would say is that uh, it's a long road and people often force themselves into giving up, into trying to give up more than they can give up and getting discouraged when they aren't able. So you have to understand that and it's something that's often missed. Yes, Buddhism talks about craving as being the cause of suffering. But the first step isn't freeing yourself from craving. That's not the first step. It's, an, it's of course, the most important step. But with, you can't do that without seeing that clearly, that craving causes suffering. You have to see that first. And just because you see it uh, doesn't mean immediately you don't have any more craving. But it... Uh, God leads you on the path to towards that freedom from craving. So generally try and gain understanding first, gain clarity about your experience, because the more clarity you have, the weaker addictions become.
I struggle with defilements of the mind. Partaking in my defilements causes me suffering, and aversion also causes me suffering. Is it true that abstinence and mindfulness will get rid of my defilements? Yeah, I mean, it's true, but again, you want to try to be careful not to fixate on destroying things or getting rid of things. Focus more on uh, understanding them. So it sounds like you have some understanding. I don't know how much mindfulness you've undertaken. Of course, the more you do, the better. Intensive practice is always going to be more valuable. But uh, even seeing that partaking causes suffering, that aversion causes you suffering, I guess one thing I would say is be careful about the phraseology. If you phrase it as me causes me suffering, it's possible that that phrasing is is involved in reifying your your possessiveness of it, like it's me, it's mine. And as long as you see things as me and mine, they're going to always cause you suffering. I mean, it's always going to be a um, a, a real source of aversion and uh, disliking. But if you see them as just experiences that arise and cease, if you cultivate mindfulness and you just see, oh, here it comes and here it goes, then the idea of it being a problem or the idea of it being uh, bad or suffering, it just doesn't arise. So it doesn't actually cause suffering. Since I practice Satipatthana, I noticed that I have lesser defilements, and more happiness. Does practicing meditation help one to achieve worldly pursuits as well, like building wealth, career, etc.? No, likely it makes you less inclined to build wealth, career, etc. My experience, uh, well, not just with myself, but experience watching others who had wealth, is it tends to cause them to get rid of the wealth and let it go and give it up and live simpl simpler, uh, more um, frugal lives, lifestyles. I mean, why would you keep wealth or or fixate on a career if you're mindful? What good does it do? What benefit is there? What is the suggested response from the Buddhist perspective to social injustice in the world? I'm not sure the word I'm not sure about the word response. I mean you respond to a question. So if you have a question, I'm responding to it now. But um Buddhists don't don't I mean there's no question being posed. What is the suggested response to social injustice? I'm just trying to um flesh out why it's not really there's not really a connection. And and why, to some extent, though it sounds, I mean, it's kind of crude to say it like this, but it's basically Buddhists don't care. Like, why why should a Buddhist care? And and it, it that sounds kind of awful, and that's why I, I pre preface it with that. But um, the philosophy behind it is is suffering is everywhere. Forget about social injustice. There is. Um, murder and torture and uh, sexual assaults 
and that's maybe just referring to the human world, the animal world is full of well those very same things, but but on a much more daily, constant basis even than humanity. We think humans are capable of such evil. Maybe to some extent humans are capable of greater evil, but animals are just wantonly cruel and callous and brutal. So so it's like it's just part of the world. It's just the way the world is. I think um a valuable understanding or a valuable perspective that you might consider is focusing on the good and trying to cultivate the good or uh, support the good. So when you find people doing good things to support them, when you have an opportunity to do good things yourself, to do them, and just ignore the rest. Appreciate that the rest is just something you don't want to get involved in. So social injustice doesn't really play a part in that. I mean, we are for, I would say as Buddhists, we are very much for allowing people to live their lives. So if someone asks us, what do you think of this social justice cause or that social justice cause, we would say that we are on the side of people who believe that oppression should end, prejudice should end. Um, people forcing their views and beliefs and on others should end people should be allowed to should not be should, people should not be controlled from uh, being themselves or well, from from expressing themselves it's not to say that certain things aren't wrong like for example abortion we of course abortion just like any other killing is still killing um but that doesn't mean we are not pro choice we allow people the choice if someone decides to have an abortion that's really in my mind no one's business but the 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 the, the woman and 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 the mother to make the choice so again it's it's that's the difference that's not a really good example i suppose though it is sort of timely i think it is a big issue now in in america and canada But uh, we we don't have a response to social injustice. We have responses if people ask a question, ask questions of what we think of certain things and where we stand and what we teach. And I think what we teach is in line with a lot of the causes people have. We might um, criticize some of the movements as being very angry and as promoting anger criticize in two ways first of all anger is unwholesome anger is bad so it's adding more evil into the world but second of all it's counterproductive anger doesn't help the way we think that it helps anger is not the answer we think it is it doesn't do anything anger just makes it makes for we've seen this uh, anger only invigorates your the people you're angry at it only makes them more powerful Do you know any Sotapanna or even Arahants? How rare are they? What hope do lay people have if most full-time monks for decades haven't attained these? Ah, well, you've you've used another trigger word, hope. The Buddha said you should be hopeless. 
Hope is not the not the answer you think it is. You shouldn't have any hope. Hope won't help you in the way you think that it will. What helps you is to be mindful in the present moment. If you're hoping about something in the future, becoming this, becoming that, you're wasting your time. And you're cultivating bad habits. The Buddha said you should be hopeless. Hantavaka so vantaso. Hantavaka so vantaso. Vantasa, I think, means hopeless. I've been obsessed with a person for six years and have tried so much to get their attention, impress them, but they don't even care about me, and even so, I can't let go. Any advice for unrequited love? You ask that as though unrequited love is somehow worse than requited love, which of course makes sense, right? Who would say it's not? But the problem here isn't that it's unrequited or requited. In fact, in a way, not to be glib, you're you're lucky. Well, it is kind of glib, isn't it? But but you are a kind of no. It's not really. You're you're lucky that it's unrequited, because you're getting to see firsthand the the problem with love. The problem isn't that it's unrequited. The problem is that you're in, is the love in the first place. It's not even love. And I think we talked about this last week. Love isn't just not a not a meaningful word. It's a word that we use to mask the reality of it. The reality is usually just in some some kind of addiction. Obsession, addictions, I guess, a better word. Addiction, and it's often addiction to silly things like a face, right? You're addicted to the facial features, uh, addicted to a voice, addicted to an idea, addicted to romance and sex, and so on. Addicted to the brain chemicals that come from the carnal desires the even just thinking about a person can trigger these mental chemicals that are so addictive but that's all they are it's just a dr- basically you're, you've got a drug addiction <laughs> that's what's going on here you've got a drug addiction and you don't realize it but you do kind of realize it and the good thing is that you can't get your drugs and so you're seeing how much suffering is involved that's good because it means you'll wise up. And I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate. I would recommend doing that or do our at-home course. It's all free. Try it out. See what you think. Are wholesome and unwholesome emotions related to good karma and bad karma? They are good karma and bad karma. That's what that's what karma means. Karma is the state of mind that involved that's involved in doing this or doing that. If you do something based on an unwholesome or wholesome emotion, that's kaya karma. If you say something based on a wholesome or unwholesome emotion, that's waji karma. And just the if you just have a, th- a thought in your mind that is based on wholesome or unwholesome emotions, that's manokama. Those are the three kinds of kama. Since one does not control the arising of chittas at the moment, do past negative tendencies that produce unwholesome chittas 
accumulate negative consequences? Sorry, give me a second here. I don't know how to answer this question. I've read it three or four times already. Okay, one does not control the arising of jittas. Mm -hmm. Past negative tendencies that produce unwholesome jittas accumulate negative consequences. I don't know what you're even trying to ask. I think you're overthinking it. I'm going to cop out and and say that that's the answer here, is that you're overthinking this. This is a fairly speculative, and your premise that since one does not control the arising of jittas is kind of sketchy. I mean, I wouldn't fixate on that sort of view. Just fairly fairly intellectual. If you want to understand about accumulating negative consequences, you should cultivate mindfulness and you'll see what has negative consequences. As craving is the cause for suffering, when around non-Buddhists who indulge in craving as a way of life, I feel the pull towards craving, the fear of missing out, Should I not interact with them until I get rid of craving? Well, interacting with people doesn't make you crave. So generally, the answer is to try and associate with good people. Associating with people who are indulging in craving is going to give you the bad example. So so generally, the answer is yes, you should try not to interact with them. That's That's... That I could stop there. That's really good advice. But I just want to say that it's not really fair to or or reasonable to think that you can just not interact with people who are indulging and craving as a way of life. More what you shouldn't do and what is in line with Buddhist uh, philosophy is you shouldn't cultivate such relationships. You should appreciate the danger, and you should incline towards better relationships. And certainly you should be careful around such people, mindful around such people, but 
it goes too far, I think, to suggest that you shouldn't interact with them because interaction is out of your control most of the time. And that being said, that's more of a, let's say, that can, that can be something that you work towards. You work towards being able to interact mindfully with people. And the best way to start is to isolate yourself until you're stronger and able to interact mindfully with such people. If a Chula Sotapanna would end up in the animal realm after attaining rebirth as a god, would that Chula Sotapanna be able to very easily attain the precious human rebirth? Um, a Chula Sotapanna is, it refers to someone for a single life. So in this life, you could be called what is called a Chula Sotapanna, which means that when you pass away, you will only be born in one of the higher realms as a human, a deva, a brahma. But uh, that's only for this life. In the next life, you're no longer a chula sotapanna. That being said, anyone who has attained that level has the upanisaya that is most likely going to propel them in a good way. It's unlikely. Well, I guess it's not unlikely. It's uh, It's likely for them to easily attain human rebirth, uh, that sort of thing is easily, is very reasonable. And it's the kind of thing that sticks with them lifetime after lifetime. So they're not a Chula Sotapanna forever, it's just a, a term used to describe the the the, the situation that is very similar to the situation of a sotapanna, but it's it's like um well chula mini sotapanna or a a, a partial or a, a temporary sotapanna kind of thing. Temporary. Bhante, more questions are being prepared, but as of now, you've answered everything that was prepared. Hmm. I think it's a combination of I'm quick, too quick, and oh, we've run out of questions. Have we? Is this it? Have we come to the end of all the questions? We've answered them all. Uh, it looks like more are being prepared to be asked. Maybe this will be our last week. We don't have to answer anymore. have questions if you're watching this later or those of you who aren't able to make it next time you can always ask questions by posting them on our discord server in the ask meditation q a channel under the youtube category so we have a channel reserved for people posting questions offline our videos don't have comments we just found of course that comments just get out of hand and it's just giving other people a platform the problem with comments is it gives uh, people outside of our community a platform, and you know it would—it's not what it's there for. The point of the videos is our platform to present our uh, teachings, our dhamma. 
the point is not to give others a, a platform. And all that means is that there's lots of stuff that's posted in the comments that just doesn't we don't we don't feel like it advances the message we're trying to advance. It just advances other people's messages and stuff. Many comments are just great and wonderful, but it just doesn't work because we don't have the moderation tools. Nor would we really want to just go around deleting everything that wasn't thank you, love the video kind of thing. Okay, Bonte, we have more questions. Ready? Ready. In meditation, I sometimes don't stop to think, or thinking arises and ceases, but I don't notice that, and it lasts the whole meditation. What should I do? Should I go back to the abdomen or watch it? Okay, I just, so don't stop to think. It sounds like you might not be a native English speaker. I think what you mean is I sometimes think without stopping. I mean, I, I, can, I, I think constantly. And then thinking arises and ceases. I guess you mean it, it keeps arising and ceasing. So again and again, I guess is what you're saying. But I don't notice that. It lasts the whole meditation. So basically you're saying either I'm thinking the one thing the whole meditation or I'm thinking this and then thinking that, but it lasts the whole meditation. Um, when, when it comes, you should note thinking, right? If there's lots of thinking, which it sounds like there is, then you would note distracted. Say to yourself, distracted, distracted. And once you've done that, you should find that there's some settling momentarily of the mind. And then, yes, you should go back to the abdomen. And when you start getting distracted again, note it again. This isn't some kind of solution. It's not like it's going to make you not think. That's not the point. The ping-ponging back and forth between your breath and, and the thoughts, that's part of the practice, at least in, it, at times it is. And so when it's like that, well, that's your practice. It's not, it's not for you to judge, oh, it shouldn't be like this, something's wrong. That's a common thing where meditators will judge and say, oh, there's, I'm doing something wrong because because of what I'm experiencing. And I can't just keep going back and forth like this. That's actually a part of growth when you start to get bored of it or you start to get weary of it, not bored, but weary. And you start to realize that the mind is just crazy and out of your control. And and that's it's that weariness that leads to letting go. Because all of these habits of thinking and, and so on uh, arise out of excitement and pursuit of more thinking, of more thoughts, of more experiences. So when you get weary of them, that's the opposite. That's the that's the solution. That's the the cure. I have fear socially, and I become stiff and awkward. I've done a bad deed in the past, and I fear how others will perceive me. How am I ever going to be free from social anxiety? Right. So as with all things, you have to fr you have to frame it in your mind as not trying to get free from something. It seems strange. It, it's kind of counterintuitive. We hear about Buddhism as being the path to freedom from suffering, and that includes things like anxiety. But the problem is that the path to freedom doesn't come from get letting go, or it doesn't come, um, it isn't a one-step path. The path to freedom comes from 
letting go, sure, but letting go comes from something else. The 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 long and the short of it is that uh, you start with understanding. You start with with seeing clearly. Sorry, I've said he doesn't like really under you. Letting go comes from understanding. Understanding comes from seeing clearly. Seeing clearly comes from observing. And observing is only possible not just by observing in an ordinary way. It's only possible by cultivating what we call mindfulness. So we use this practice of reminding ourselves. When you remind yourselves, you have sati, which means remembrance. You remember. It means you remember things as they are. Seeing is just seeing. Hearing is just hearing. Fear is just fear. Anxiety is just anxiety. And so your practice is not trying to be free from something. As long as you want to be free from something, you're not free of something else, and that's aversion towards that thing. And that aversion is something that you're clinging to. In order to be free from the aversion and the judgment of things, you have to change your attitude. Stop trying to get rid of them. Start trying to understand them, to see them clearly. During my meditation, I find more liking with tracking my breath, the in and out of the breath, without saying rising and falling. Is that okay, or should I continue with the noting? Find more liking with tracking my breath. You've done it again, the two-in-one session. Oh, that's so wrong. I find more liking with tracking my breath. And then you think that somehow that's going to be a good argument to present to me. I'm disappointed. Well, that's understandable. I mean, these questions are very, very common. But you've, you've, you've triggered the, the, what is that phrase? You've, you've said the trigger word. Liking is a problem. Liking is your problem. And if you, if you study Buddhism, you'll learn that, that, Again, I mean the same thing I said with the earlier question. There is never going to be a good re- it's never going to be a good reason. Liking is never going to be a good reason to do something. It's a bad reason. It's a it's a negative reason. Yeah, so anything anytime you say I like to do it this way, that's a good reason to not try and do it that way. That's that's a, a good reason to be very careful about doing it that way and to try your best to be very vigilant if you do it that way, because that way is going to trigger more more liking. And what you seem not to realize here is that liking is the problem, and so all you're doing by doing what you like is cultivating more liking. That's bad. So that's that's irrespective of of the thing that you're talking about liking. It's just you again. You haven't given me a, a good reason why you should track your breath. You give me a bad reason. And a reason for me to say, oh, whatever that thing is you're talking about, before I even think about what you're talking about, whatever it is, that's something I'd be very careful to, to if you do do it, more than other things. I would, I would suggest you try and do other things. And if you do do that thing, to be careful, because liking, uh, if, it, if it's a thing that causes liking, you're, you're, you're going to be in trouble there. So bad reason for doing that. Better reason not to do that. And in fact, it's a big reason why we do the stomach, why we focus on the stomach. It's not very comfortable. It's not very pleasant. So it's probably more free from liking than other practices are. But, uh, you know, I guess I would suggest doing a little bit of research on 
addiction or Buddhism and try to appreciate that liking is a bad reason. Liking is a problem. Liking is basically the cause of suffering. Yeah, so a big reason why we do what we do is to avoid that is or to help us to see that and to see the stress. See, because when you're not doing what you like to do, the good thing about that experience is that you get to see how that liking is just an addiction and is stressful when you don't get it. So you do one thing, but you like doing something else more is good, is good experience for you because it shows you not that what you're doing is wrong. It shows you that the liking is wrong. The liking is a, an addiction and you're just going through withdrawal because you don't get what you want. So, yeah, no, the answer is no, that's not okay. Okay, Bhante, we've crossed the hour and asked all the questions that are prepared to ask. Okay, well, thank you all for your questions. Thank you, Chris, Jim, whoever else is around. Wish you all the best. Sadhu. Sadhu.